0: Hello, and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Kate. I'm Aaron. And we will be learning about national anthems. Each week, we choose a new country at random, we learn a little bit about this country, and then we listen to their anthem. After listening, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up in our humble opinion. We don't want you to think that because of the title, we're huge fans of O Canada. In fact, we plan to dunk on it pretty much constantly throughout the show, and we don't expect it to finish highly in the rankings at all. So, hi, Aaron. Hey. This week, we are talking about Laos. Laos. And before we get into the history and stuff, we need to talk about the geography. Great. Because it's important. Always
1: a good place to start. Where yeah. are we talking about?
0: Well, we're, we're in Asia. Sure. Laos is a landlocked country. Okay. Um, so although you might think, as I did in your mind, that it has a coastal part it does not
1: did i guess it was an island nation last week
0: no i think i think you knew it wasn't yes an island nation (laughs) which is which is good because it's not an island nation um it shares borders with a number of countries including myanmar myanmar
1: i think myanmar Myanmar.
0: i think so too that sounds better um thailand china vietnam and cambodia so it's
1: that's that's a good Surrounded. list. Yeah,
0: yeah, by many countries. And it's not a
1: huge country. Is it's it? not.
0: It's very long and skinny.
1: I guess a couple of those I don't think are particularly big either.
0: No, but some of them are. Yeah, and the the border is long with, I think Thailand and Vietnam particularly, um, and then China's up there too. So it's a lot of like big powers, as I was saying to you earlier, some like heavy hitters in the area, right, and also just countries to which a lot of stuff happened. So this episode is kind of going to be an exercise in not stepping on Vietnam or Thailand's toes, because um, it, it could happen, and it might happen a little bit, but I'm trying to avoid it as best I can. Totally,
1: yeah. We're, we're going to cover events more than once when we get to bordering nations, like that even happened in our little stretch of... You know, Burkina Faso, Ghana, and Togo there.
0: Definitely. So there is gonna be a relationship here that we can explore more as we talk about the the neighboring countries. Awesome. Um, this is also the beginning of the story. I couldn't find a lot of like prehistory, like really early stuff. but then the the people in Laos at the beginning there were really good at writing stuff down. So we know a lot of the people who were in charge. Okay. We're going to start, though, kind of in China. Um, So in the 8th century, southwestern China was home to a group of people um, from what was then the kingdom of Nanzo, and they are now called the Lao. So this is like the main population. And they migrate sort of into the mainland through the 13th century, and they are kind of hurried along from behind by the Mongol invasions that we talk about right. fairly frequently. Um, and that's kind of how they come to what is now like present day, Laos.
1: Okay, so even just the establishment of these people is quite late compared to well, virtually every other place we've looked at. Hold on for a second. Okay.
0: There were already indigenous people. Okay. Who have been characteristically shafted and marginalized, as one does with one's indigenous people for whatever reason. Um The indigenous groups, there's like five or six big ones. Collectively, they are called the Ka, KHA, K-H-A, okay. um, which translates, unfortunately, to slaves. Or I saw a French translation also that had it more like savages. Oof. So th- this is not great. This continues, actually, to not be great. Okay. Um, they're so currently, okay, in the present day, the the government in Laos does not officially recognize in, indigenous people. So, what I mean by that is that from from what they have put down in the laws, all the ethnic groups have equal status. Status, sorry, but the like concept sort of of indigenous people does not really exist. Which leaves ripe territory for shoving people around, right. And many of the indigenous groups are still kind of trying to cling to their sort of old lands and not be pushed out because there's a lot of great natural resources there. So it's um, a lot
1: of like erasure going on, yeah. basically. okay, yeah,
0: essentially. Um, so so, okay covered that all right so recorded history um begins around 1300 and there's going to be like a lot of guys kind of all back to back here totally they're not super important in the long run but i wrote down their names because it's kind of interesting to know um so this first guy his name is fa Ngum. i think i'm saying that right i'm probably not who founds the laotian state of lanzang or the kingdom of the million elephants which i thought was kind of a great name (laughs) for something um Going forward, we're going to talk a lot about Lanzang. Okay, um, that is modern-day Laos.
1: Is there like a political precursor? Yeah, yeah. The, the
0: it a lot of this is going to happen. It's going to sure. it's going to fall apart. They're going to build it up again. Um, but for now, we're going to talk about Lanzang because that's that's what it was called. Um, so this is the beginning, right? I skipped a thing okay um this ruler at the time mm-hmm. was a bit of like an overexcited warrior type who went ahead and conquered basically like all of present-day laos okay and then some so the territory at this point is huge i don't think it's the biggest it will ever be but it is quite, it's up there it's a significant portion he does a lot of conquering Um, and And it can
1: definitely be be taxing on a country when those borders expand too far too soon like you can't stretch your people too far if you're making a reputation as a conqueror people are gonna come prove you wrong yeah
0: that's true (laughs) that's true i think he doesn't deal with this as much there will be some of that though right down the road a little bit um this is also the beginning of the popularization of buddhism in the area and buddhism is still the most popular religion today Um, this is brought in by missionaries from angkor which i'm actually not sure where that is that's a problem okay um so i read that i believe it's in france is it maybe not that there's no buddhist missionaries coming in from france no where what did you say angkor
1: oh angkor sorry i heard (laughs) totally different thing
0: that's okay that's okay um Something we'll look up on the break, maybe. So although I read on the um, the like Travel Canada website, you know, where you can go to see the advisories and stuff. I use that a fair bit to get just context from my own perspective and then go looking other places. But essentially it said that today Laos is very tolerant of people and visitors of different religions. Okay. Um, although I read in other sources that it's... Just kind of how they do things externally, like for show a little bit. If you actually want to practice religions besides Buddhism, you can do it. It's not.
1: But you're going to struggle to like start a church.
0: Yeah. It's not a super popular way to do things.
1: No one's going to like imprison you for owning a Bible, but you you're, you're going to struggle to found a church. Yeah. I yeah. think that's
0: kind of that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. Um, I did learn also there, though, that if you visit Laos, you should not do too much. The public displays of affection.
1: Okay. They don't
0: like that. Interesting. Um, don't kiss in public. And also, do not have illegal drugs. They're, that's very... Real dumb. hard on illegal that's drugs. Really. Okay. Don't do it. Don't If you're going to do illegal drugs, don't do them in Laos. Um, okay. So, in 1373, Fan Güm's son, Un Huen... I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher all the names the whole time. Um, so, Un Huan takes over. Um, Un Huen likes to organize things, and he was big on sort of administration and defense. So, okay. he, he shores up the, the system a little bit. Um, and then he dies in 1416. Then, there is quite a long peaceful period, Um, in which leaders are able to kind of organize and finish organizing Lanzang and sort of solidifying what they have. Mm -hmm. Then the Vietnamese invade in 1479. And another guy, Fotisareth, who rules from 1520 to 1548, um, is a little bit of a bloodthirsty kind of a guy also,
1: It's a pretty decent length rule for a bloodthirsty guy, though. It
0: is. He does not too bad. Um, He begins a two centuries long war with Myanmar and also the Thai kingdom of Ayutthaya. And this is the point now at which Lanzang has its largest territory, like of land covered.
1: Right. Can I can I interrupt you for a moment? Yes. Um, And this might be something that's going to come up later in your episode. But like. My understanding is there was a name change, like, sometime in the last decade or two, I think, from Burma to Myanmar. Was it Myanmar, like, previously, and they changed it back to that? Like, do you know if it was Myanmar at this point in history, or was it Burma, or is that something we should look up at the break?
0: I don't know. That's maybe something we should look up. Um, It is... I think for the most part at this time the, the this area is like kingdoms. Right. So I'm not sure even if it exists in such a formal way. Okay. as all that or if it's just a kingdom or a collection of kingdoms. I'm not sure how they self-identify. Sure. So in the in the next ruler's reign Um, Some of the territory that was gained, as you kind of said, don't do it too fast, um, is lost. And the capital is moved to Vientiane, which is now called Vientiane. That I looked up, so I know I'm pronouncing it right. Okay.
1: Is that the, the capital to this day? Yes. Yeah. yes, And it's going to. I'll often look up the, the capital's pronunciation because it's often not as easy <laughs> as you'd think.
0: Yes, that is true.
1: I still um, can't wrap my fucking mouth around Ljubljana.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a few. Um, <laughs> Viencian also is highly contested. Like it's going to change hands a lot of times okay. in the coming bit, shall we say um so Myanmar sees an opportunity um following Sethariath's death and they kind of swoop in to grab the capital this is in 1574 this is real messy um the country then is essentially in anarchy um for a long time the new leader doesn't come to the throne until 1637 and he pioneers two treaties that attempt to fix the borders with Vietnam and Siam, which is present-day Thailand. We will call it Siam a lot. Right through this. Okay, so the borders come to the borders solidify with um, the the new ruler Sulinga Vongsa, who, as I said, comes to the throne in 1637. Um, he's in charge of the treaties, and he's also big on the arts funding. Um, he helps make Vianchen, then the capital, um, I will quote from Botanica here, a vibrant intellectual center, um, and his reign is generally considered to be something of a, quote, golden age cool. um, in, in the time. So it's, it's having a good moment. Then Vongsa dies in 1694. And one of his nephews was in cahoots with an army of Vietnamese, which I think is not to be confused with the Vietnamese army. I think there were just some people from Vietnam right. who made up an army who were backing up the nephew. This took me a second. I, th- I think I got that right.
1: It's always tough with, <laughs> like, random military splinter groups.
0: It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, these guys also, I think, don't really stick around that long, but... Anyway, they they take over um, when Vongsa dies and Lanzang is then controlled by the Vietnamese. However, um, the northern provinces, to be expected, do not go particularly quietly. Um, They're controlled at this point by members of the royal family who've been kind of sent to the outposts. Right like Prince of Wales kind of style, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we'll put a guy over there and we'll put a guy over there and they're obviously not thrilled about this. Um, so they go ahead and declare themselves independent in 1707. The South does the same, thinking that's a pretty good idea. And then Leng Zang is split now into three kingdoms. Um, Luan Prabang and Vien Chan in the North and Champasak in the South this I think means that Vientiane is like both the capital and the name of the province. Okay. Sort of like if we lived in Ontario, Ontario. Right. Yeah. Um, so this creates more tension because the three kingdoms now don't all get along with each other. They've been kind of fractured and aren't having it. So given all the tension, The neighboring nations, which we've already seen are a little bit champing at the bit here, see an opportunity to take a little chunk for themselves. This is kind of complicated. There's a lot I'm not going to get into here. But essentially, by 1778, all three kingdoms belong to the Siamese. The kings are allowed to rule, but essentially they have to answer to Bangkok. Right. For everything and everything important.
1: So similar almost to that like suzerain relationship we talked about last week. Very similar. The the suzerain country sort of had control over everything except how they were going to interact with other countries.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's that's pretty much it. Um, You can kind of do the local stuff, but you can't. But
1: your foreign policy is out of your hands. Yeah, you can't make any
0: big moves. Um, The thing that impressed me is that um laos has come this far without being colonized by any european nations um it's already the 1700s and that hasn't happened yet yeah um it will though don't worry
1: oh great (laughs) i was getting worried for a moment
0: (laughs) the anxiety imposed by a lack of (laughs) (laughs) colonization um so there's a guy named of Chao Anu, who is king in Vientiane for about 30 years, and he tries to make his province independent now from Siam. He does this by cozying up to Vietnam, um, tries to get his son kind of a good foothold, and then he takes an army to Bangkok. He is understandably worried about the British presence in the area and is trying to sort of stake his claim before they come along and just scoop it out mm-hmm. from under him. Um, the British at this point have already come colonizing in Myanmar. Um, so they're encroaching quickly. Um, however, this kind of to be expected, because we've established that, you know, Thailand is a pretty strong place. Um, this doesn't work out. Uh, Vientiane is essentially destroyed by the Siamese and made a Siamese province. Right. Um this then kicks off a big old expansion for the Siamese, which I'm not going to talk about in detail because I think we'll get there when we get there, kind of. But um, essentially, the French, who are currently holding a protectorate over Vietnam, don't love this. Siam starts expanding. France is like, what are you doing? Yeah. And now here we are. Um The French negotiate with Bangkok and they install um, a vice consul in Luang Prabang, which, as we mentioned, is one of the provinces. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of fighting in something called the Mekong River Valley, which is a big kind of military foothold. Yeah, Um, It's very important to the French and... Also to Laos or what like would be Laos um, at the time. So
1: that's in Vietnam, yeah.
0: The I think it's right on the border. Okay. The now border.
1: Right. Um, I think it's. I feel like it's a thing I've heard referenced in like countless movies about the Vietnam War. With the U.S. So it may come up there as well.
0: Yes, I wouldn't be surprised. We will also see shortly how Laos was involved in the Vietnam War.
1: Okay, sure. As
0: well. Um, So the French are making a big military stink. They do so in Bangkok as well. Um, The Siamese back off a bit from the river and the French take over the territory they abandoned. Um, And then they sort of solidify some treaties with Siam in 1904 and 1907 to again, try to like hammer down what exactly belongs to who, because we're all still kind of confused about
1: that. And this is like, now we're into the 1900s. This is the century of going, well, let's figure out what the fuck belongs to who like.
0: Yep. Yep. We have arrived. Um, So under the French, who now control kind of the whole area. This is now called French Indochina. The main administrative body is located in now Vientiane, um, which is independent, uh, kind of as we were saying, on a local level. So they've retained like local politics, but on the big stuff, you got to talk to France about that. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing I read that was kind of interesting is that the French weren't that interested in laos they were not they they got ignored a little bit um i think maybe just not quite as rich in resources or okay as as much of a population thing as some of the neighboring countries so they
1: right i'll admit to being a little ignorant on why everybody has wanted a foothold in vietnam for so long
0: yeah like honestly me too still a little bit um, but that seems also to be where the French are concentrating. I think okay. I think partly too. I was reading this. It's it's the coastline, right? As well, sure, which exists in places that are not Laos, um, as we <laughs> mentioned. It's landlocked, so some of these other places have have that sweet coastline
1: I love that you phrase that like a sick burn on It's like oh you don't you don't know what a coastline is it's that thing they have in
0: places that aren't Laos they, clearly they know what the coastline is sorry if it came off that way this is not a dig at you okay um, moving on to world war um, 2 this, this stuff gets fun this stuff is gonna be fun so the Japanese invade Uh, sure they
1: have Laos like officially, I guess they're with France. So yeah, they, they have allied themselves with the allies then.
0: Yes. Yeah. They're with whether, whether
1: willingly or not.
0: Yes. And the thing to keep in mind here also is that at this point, like Germany has invaded France and taken France. So basically the, what's happening in Laos is a reflection of like the Germans Via France telling the Japanese what to do,
1: what the fuck okay kinda yeah.
0: so <laughs> it's it's a time um then that,
1: that genuinely sounds like a like a farce
0: it does doesn't it <laughs> or one of those middle school like Amy told me to tell you that. Her brother Devin has a crush on whoever who has a crush on someone like one of those.
1: I'm just picturing like this almost Dr. Strangelove-esque war like satire comedy where this whole theater of war is being decided by the French guy who calls up the German guy who calls up the <laughs> Japanese guy. And, like, there's just this whole, like, game of telephone being played with yeah. every single correspondence. That's that's what I'm picturing. And I, I
0: wouldn't be surprised if it kind of fell out that way. <laughs> um, so then what happens is at the end of the war, the Japanese back out, and the the government restores thailand the areas that france previously was in france is kind of forced by the japanese to give laos their independence or to let them declare independence if they want to Um, so they do in 1945 technically speaking declare independence however france doesn't love this because they're being forced out of their territory that they didn't even really care about that much but Anyway, they're mad about it. Um, So there is then a lot of... Don't
1: know what you got till it's gone. (laughs) Exactly. The Lao story.
0: (laughs) So then there's a lot more war, basically, um, where the French... come back hitting pretty hard to take back what they were forced to give up. Right. Um, And they pretty much have control again in 1946.
1: So. Why bother making them give it up, I guess?
0: I don't really know.
1: Like, what a colossally stupid war to have happen they're like france you gotta give it up and friends like okay we gave it up we're we're gonna take it back though yeah and everyone's just like i guess we didn't consider this
0: yeah that is that that's it that yep um so this continues this french war on laos through the early 1950s when finally Switzerland has to step in to be like, you have to negotiate this stuff. And they sit down, they mediate between right. France and Laos to force them to come to some kind of an agreement. A ceasefire is finally put into effect in August 1954.
1: To be clear, is yes. this is this Switzerland or is this the UN?
0: My source said Switzerland. Okay. I, sup- I suppose it could have been. No, that's okay. Just... I- yeah I, th- I think switzerland yeah um so they put in the ceasefire and then some other countries including canada india and poland um agree to help kind of monitor the situation and make sure that no one violates the ceasefire because i guess the french are still pretty hot and bothered <laughs> about this um so then under the geneva accords France recognizes the independence of the kingdom of Laos on December 29th, 1954, the Geneva Accords. I don't know if we've really talked about this, um, essentially make everybody in Indochina, pull their troops and sign a ceasefire. Mm. Um, Vietnam at the time is divided into two parts. Um, Laos doesn't want to do that. So they put the whole country under a Royal government. Basically they are a monarchy. Uh, then, then, though, there are some people who don't like the monarchy, and there is a rise in communist popularity. So, the communists take control of some areas. I will mention this for future context. Um, the communist party is called the Laos sorry the Lao People's Revolutionary Party or the LRP LPRP. There we go. <laughs> This is then causing a lot of tension between the left and right kind of political factions in Laos. Right. Um, This is 1959 and results in an extended civil war. It's partly a left and right thing. It's also kind of a pro-Western or anti-Western kind of a side-choosing um, what did you
1: say the year was? This is
0: 1959.
1: Yeah, that's that's the year for it. It is.
0: It totally is. Yeah. There's no surprises here, really. Um, they have another talk in Geneva in 1961 and another agreement in 1962. Um, Laos then becomes neutral, if such a thing exists. Sure. Um, the new government is made up of sort of factions The left, the right, and the neutrals. Again, in theory, I don't know how much in practice. Yeah, yeah. Then there's the Vietnam War, which is extremely complicated. And I will warn you ahead of time, the U.S. doesn't come out of this looking super great. For context, the Laotian Civil War runs 1962 to 1975. The Vietnam War runs 1955 to 1975. So these two things line up pretty good with each other. Um, so at first, I'm a little, okay, I'm a little fuzzy on this. The sources were different. W- one thing I read said that the U.S. at the beginning w- were sort of invested in training pilots in Laos and providing military and financial aid. Other sources I read did not mention this, so I'm not sure if it happened. Right. Um, if anybody knows, tweet us. Um, then Laos is accused of shooting down a U.S. plane. And the U.S. start bombing Laos, uh, mostly in the north, where the capital city is located, and also where there were some military bases. This is brutal.
1: Um, So is this, just to be clear, is this part of the Vietnam War? Is this part of the Laos Civil War then?
0: This is, I think, more part of the Vietnam War. But it's... ...linked to the Civil War, because right. that, as you recall, is a left versus right thing.
1: Yeah, and it, well, and seems US, like it's sort of hand-in-hand hand with the, the Vietnam War, yes, for sure. Yes, because the
0: U.S. hate communists, mm-hmm. so they come in to bomb all of them out.
1: Which is why they're in Vietnam in the first place. Yes, yeah. it's
0: attached. It's, like, neighboring. They're like, we'll hit the Vietnam and we'll get some guys in Laos while we're at it. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, okay. I'm going to save my very troubling statistic for the fun facts. Um, Despite (laughs) this... fun. (laughs) It's fascinating. It's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So despite all of this, the the communist groups continue to gain popularity um, in this country that has been a monarchy for some time.
1: Well, they're the ones that are fighting the people bombing the country.
0: Yes. Yes, they are. Um, they continue to make pretty good advances. Um, although the government... Okay. And then it, at... What is this? 1973. The government actually holds only the capital city.
1: Okay. And um, the, the war ends in 75, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Finally, the the Communist Party take Vien Chen in 1975. Um, when this happens, a lot of the people who were loyal to the monarchy and also the Americans ditch and go to Vietnam. Um, the party promises electoral reform and democracy and a more liberal nation. And instead, it just kind of becomes like a one party situation. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, that old chestnut.
0: Yeah. Where you kind of can't get around it. Um, a lot of this is also kind of sketchy, involving people, for example, from this kind of old regime being sent to quote seminar camps for quote reeducation, and then they never come home. Mm. Um, so that's troubling. Also troubling um, is there is an indigenous group in Laos called the Hmong, who many of whom were killed when the communists take over um the Hmong are still an indigenous group in the region but less so um some hundred thousand are killed in this right business and a lot of them also were sent to these same kind of quote re-education camps um then also some of them fled to Thailand, where they were kept in detention camps, which is, as far as I can gather, essentially the same thing. Some also moved to the U.S., so there's actually quite a large population of Hmong there. Um, but also a lot were deported from Thailand back to Laos. This is in one of the sources that I read compared to the ongoing treatment of the... Is it Wigger. the Uyghur Uyghurs thank you um in China and okay except they were arguing kind of worse because Laos and Thailand didn't face any repercussions for this and also kind of didn't get any media attention for it so that kind of sucks although I'd argue the Uyghurs are kind of flying under the radar too uh sort of at least they were for a long time yeah so I don't know you you take that as you would like um so today, the primary language in Laos is Lao. However, some upper class people also speak French, English and or Vietnamese. Um, it's mostly a rural and agricultural country with a lot of kind of isolated areas, which interestingly kind of allows for the maintenance of dialects and traditions because people are so isolated. Mm. Um The village leadership, I thought this was interesting too, is divided sort of between a headman and a monk. And the headman handles sort of secular and civil stuff. And the monks handle the religious side of things. Cool. Which is not a structure I've really seen other places. But it is extremely rural. Only about 35% of the population lives in urban areas. And agriculture is a main um, thing. It remains industry, that's the word I'm looking for. Um it remains a communist country, one of the few official really communist yeah. countries in the world. Um, and maintains also this kind of one party right. thing where from what I was reading, like you go and you vote, but you know, it doesn't really mean anything, and the elections are often rigged and sort of unreliable. Fun facts. So coffee is a huge agricultural export. Um, I do think I've seen Laotian coffee beans before. There's a lot. They have some volcanic soil there that's apparently really, really good for growing coffee. And okay. I saw a picture of a woman with like all these coffee beans. It was pretty cool. Um, it is one of the most, this is my fun statistic, one of the most bombed countries in the world. Um, in the Vietnam War, the U.S. dropped more than two million tons of bombs Jesus on Laos.
1: Jesus fucking Christ. Yep. Yup. 2 million tons. Yep. That's insane. Insane,
0: right? For this, like, tiny little landlocked country they are like, oh, no, we're just going to bomb the shit out of you. Yeah.
1: And, like, this is the 70s. Like, those are, those are probably more advanced. Not to say that they're as big as the nukes that they dropped on Japan in World War II, but, like, the smaller bombs they're using are probably more advanced than what we think of as like bombs being used in old wars kind of thing like yeah that's that's true that's an astounding statistic isn't it
0: though anyway um, this is this is actually fun this next one <laughs> the new year is celebrated over three days on April 14th 15th and 16th okay the 14th is sort of the last day of the old year the middle day is considered kind of like in between, and the 16th is the first day of the New Year. So you get this kind of New Year sandwich. Um, Although I read also that in some places the sort of festivities go on for a week. Um, So it's a big deal. Great. Uh, During the New Year, people might be blessed by a monk who will tie around their wrist um, an orange and white string, and you're supposed to keep it on until it falls off by itself. If you cut it off, that is seen as you kind of rejecting the blessing. Mm. So don't do that. Um, also, the national flower is called frangipani, which I thought was a food.
1: But m- yeah, I did.
0: But maybe it's also a flower.
1: Or I thought it was like a liqueur or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. We'll look it up.
0: I have just in my mind, my my grandmother saying the word frangipani with reference to like a tart made with pears and almonds. But I could just be making that up. I'm not sure. Um, we'll look it up after. This plant is also called um, the doc champa, a uh, flower of plumeria or rubra flower. And it can often be seen growing in monasteries and they're considered lucky. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's what I have for content for tonight. Um, we're going to listen now to the Anthem. Which I do have a
1: couple questions for you before sure. we take our break here.
0: What are your questions? I'm sort of scared because this history was so complicated.
1: Uh, well just two <laughs> easy ones. <laughs> kind of terrifying. What are your you, questions? You answered a lot of what I had. So really, I just want to know like a really quick, cause we will get into it in their episode, but a really quick sort of when did Burma and Myanmar, mm-hmm. like when did those names come from? Yep. And, uh, yeah, just what's, uh, what's going on with all these different things that Frangiapane is?
0: <laughs> okay, so we will answer those over the break. We will then come back and we will discuss the national anthem, Fang Sat Lao, which translates roughly to Hymn of the Lao People.
1: Sounds great. <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome back. Um, Let's start by addressing your questions from earlier. Sure. Um, Starting with um, when did Burma get called that?
1: Yeah. Quick version. And then when did it become Myanmar?
0: So this is a question with no short answer. Okay. Is what I learned. Fair enough. Um, It's quite enmeshed in political decisions um, and seems to, at least from what I was reading, seems to be partly... Cause there was a coup and then they were right. trying to improve their image on the sort of world stage and right. did that by changing their name. Okay. However, many people by which I mean, most people seem to still be extremely confused about this. Okay. Um, there's a lot of details of, um, uh, us presidents, especially not being sure. Um, sometimes calling it Myanmar, Sometimes calling it Burma, sometimes referring to it as this country or that country, which.
1: Well, certainly when we when uh, when I dress Watini, yeah, and I would bring that up to people, they would be like, "I've never once in my life heard of that country." And then I would go, "Oh, their name was Swaziland until like what? What was it? Twenty twelve yeah, or something?" something like that. Yeah, and they'd go, "Oh, I've heard of Swaziland." Yeah. So I think a lot of these name changes just get like really poorly publicized over here.
0: Yeah. And I think too, um, it seems that people from Burma slash Myanmar maybe don't care. Right. Really. And it's just everybody else making a big like hullabaloo kerfuffle about it. I don't know. Yeah. So that's my long weird answer to your hypothetically simple question. (laughs) Um, And then we're going to talk about what's frangipani. Okay, so it's not a liqueur.
1: No, the the liqueur is frangelico, and that is
0: my mistake. (laughs) But a funny mistake anyway. Um, And the dessert my grandma was making seemingly is some kind of almond paste slash cake slash cookie that sometimes has raspberries in it. Great. So, cool. Um, For food this week... We made a dish, well I made a dish called cowpoon, which is a spicy noodle soup with red curry paste and uh what are those noodles? Vermicelli? Yes. The little rice ones. Um which are really tasty actually. Yeah. I
1: didn't they turned out really nice. I didn't
0: know I liked those, but they're really good. Um and bamboo shoots and then with like some grated sort of carrot and um cabbage yeah. on top. Um oh and chicken also. <laughs> important ingredient in there shredded, which I thought was kind of interesting. It turned out really nice. I was quite pleased. I think it is one of my most successful podcast cooks. Yeah. Um, so far. Yeah.
1: I think like for, for a first time attempt at a totally unfamiliar dish, that's about as good as you could have expected it to go. It was I, really tasty. I think
0: so too. If I was more organized than I am, I'd have made my own red curry paste, but I, I did not. I just used the one from the store. Um, It also seemed like from what I was reading, one of those recipes where like everyone does it a little bit differently. So the recipe I made is probably nothing like some other recipes. It seems the protein can get switched out quite easily. So you can have it with chicken or pork or fish,
1: you know. Right.
0: So that Uh, was fun.
1: On another food side note. Yeah. uh, Since I... My my Moldovan food turned out less than ideal. Uh, just the execution of it, it, I do think the food in general would be really good. Um, we had messaged a friend of ours who was born in Ukraine uh, to tell him that we were doing an episode on Moldova and maybe he'd want to check it out. And then we actually went and had dinner at his place. And he had... I guess, visited his grandmother and they had made this Moldovan like cabbage sort of savory pastry, pastry roll thing. for us. He said he he didn't <laughs> g- genuinely had no idea what the English name for such a thing would be. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was really good. Just uh, sort of a flaky pastry. It had, I believe he said, fresh cabbage and pickled cabbage yeah. inside. Uh, yeah, just really light. Flaky, tasty.
0: And good cold. I know he said it was supposed yeah. to be eaten cold. He had tried it warm and really liked it. Um, then I had it both ways also at his house. and I, I preferred the cold one, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, all the food behind us. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Fang Sat Lao, or Hymn of the Lao People. Let's do it. So, this is, this is an anthem um, that has existed in two versions. So, there was... One, um...
1: I did see when I went looking for the lyrics that there was, like, an original lyrics and now an official recognized lyrics.
0: Yes. So the first version was um, written in 1941 and adopted in 1947. Similar to our conversation about East Timor, Laos has kind of, like, a false start independence, Okay. A little bit. Once in the 40s um, and then again in the 70s. Right. Like, officially. Mm -hmm. So... Um, The second version is from 1975. Okay. The first version was composed and lyrics by um, a Dr. Thongdi Suthinovich.
1: Maybe? I I opened the page (laughs) for the lyrics and and I, I just said to Kate, like, good luck pronouncing this guy's name. It is so many letters
0: so many letters in such an order is not normally seen (laughs) in english um so sorry again for the colossal butchery of everybody's name um what i thought was interesting was that this anthem was written and composed by the same person yes we haven't
1: seen that we've maybe seen that once or twice but i don't think we've seen it a lot yeah no
0: it's usually two people way more than i thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. the thing is i struggled with this to find any information besides there are two versions and they switched from one to the other um it seems that the lyrics were revised um at independence i think the the tune stayed the same Mm. Um, and the new lyrics are by someone by the name of Susanna Tizan, or Tizan maybe, who is a politician in the Communist Party. Okay. And that's kind of all I know about them. Um, I thought it was a woman actually at first, because often women's names have A's on the end, but this is not the case. They're all dudes. Okay. <laughs> um, so the anthem has kind of a history, but not as much detail. Okay, as I would, as I would like. Basically, we know there are two versions. They switched when no, the Communists took okay. over. and that's pretty much it. So let's get into the versions.
1: Let's get into it. Yes, yeah, there was the three two, of these. Two that are quite similar.
0: Yes, I struggled to find a live version.
1: Um, It can be tough sometimes.
0: Yeah, there was one that was just, a, again, a football match, but I couldn't hear. Yeah. And I didn't know what they were playing, (laughs) so I skipped that one. Um, We have two sort of vocal versions and one instrumental. Personally, the instrumental is my favorite. Yeah,
1: I Uh, think so also.
0: I think um, I was looking into a little bit this complete National Anthems of the World, um, and I was saying earlier I, I listened to the canadian one because i was curious and i was very impressed at how listenable it was <laughs> because i have zero tolerance for the canadian national anthem um, and less every day as we do this podcast and um i was i was intrigued at how good it was it's it's a little stiff maybe as far as songs go but then also it's an anthem so shall we get into the ratings a little bit
1: i think so And if we're starting with the lyrics, these are maybe a little stiff for my taste.
0: They are. And here's the thing I found also with the lyrics is that there's not that different between the old version and the new version.
1: No, I didn't actually look very closely at the the old version, though glancing at it now, it is very similar. It's very
0: similar. And I don't really know why they felt like they had to rewrite the whole thing, except maybe just to assert your power.
1: And I think... Like these these official recognized lyrics look more like they've been sort of vetted by a modern <laughs> political party than the original ones yeah, do. Yeah. I think there's some more intentional, like you know, even you brought up in the topic of like indigenous erasure that like sort of the party line is where we're all equal and that's yeah. why we're going to sort of wipe all your stuff off to the side. Yeah. And like that line makes its way basically word for word into mm. the anthem. That's true.
0: That's true. I hadn't really put that together
1: So I think myself, it's, but you're right. I think it's just clearer political messaging. Yeah. Direct and from the party this time. Less
0: sort of poetic.
1: Yeah. And more... Which, for me, is going to lose them points, because this yeah. this feels like a speech that's passed across a couple desks, yeah. rather than... <laughs> it's true. Like,
0: and like one of them was the intern who was asleep that day. Like, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's not, you know, the the revolutionary poem that was written in a fit of inspiration. Like, even the original ones were a little bit more than these ones. Yeah. The lyrics, I think, are probably my biggest knock on this anthem.
0: Yeah, I agree. I kind of, like, I've read them over, obviously, a few times now, and every time I read them, they just kind of slip through my mind.
1: It's because it's such, like, boilerplate language. I know. Language. I
0: can't hold on to it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so for lyrics, I'm going to go, like, maybe five.
1: I was going to go three.
0: Okay, okay. Music,
1: music. I think is a little stronger, though not particularly strong either. Yeah,
0: it's not blowing me away. But I think when we talk about like malleability, I think it does have some of that. You can a little bit, you for sure. You can see in the instrumental version that they are. You can open it up a bit. You can. That's you fair. can do some stuff with it, and that gains it some points for me, yeah. for sure.
1: It uh, the whole proceeding of this anthem to me feels very stiff it is quite uh and yeah that's that's just tough for me on this one I think I'm gonna go for about a six on the music
0: six I think that's fair I'm gonna go maybe 6.5 because I did quite enjoy that instrumental one background okay so there there is a story I feel like there's more story than we kind of have on record
1: yeah i but, I feel like we're we're definitely missing a piece or two of of the background, but there there is some stuff there. It's fine it's, it's It's a very middle of the road background story for me. It
0: is and like clearly, as we can see in the lyrics, kind of a political cleanup job. yeah, a little bit of like an after the fact like not that it was unpalatable before, but let's make it like super palatable <laughs> for going forward.
1: I'm going to go maybe four and a half.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I'm going to go four. Um, significance.
1: I mean, <sighs> there, there. this is where I think it actually does deserve okay. some points.
0: I, I'm curious because right now I'm feeling a little flat about it.
1: I mean, I'm not crazy about the anthem, but it is basically <laughs> like... You know what I would expect to find if I opened the website for the Communist Party of Laos and clicked on the mission statement section yeah, like. that's
0: <laughs> that's true <laughs> it is it is um sort of steadfast. They know what they're
1: after, and you know? just the the existence of the anthem itself is worked in not only to their actual final independence but that original false start at independence mm. i i do think there's something there in terms of significance i'm certainly not going for a super high score here but i think it deserves as high as a 7.5
0: yeah i ag- i agree you have you have won me over somewhat with your arguments i as I say, I'm having trouble holding the lyrics in my mind. But I think you're right that if you read them. When have
1: you read a mission statement and been able to hold it in your you, mind? You can't. You
0: cannot hold the mission statements. Um, I've read so many theater mission statements. Oh, my
1: God. We used to have to. For they, class. they mean
0: nothing. <laughs> they mean nothing. Um, pro tip if you're ever writing a mission statement, I guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that they are m- making their point. Um, and they have been through some stuff, and it, it's messy. It's a lot of, like, division and putting it back together, and then you belong to a different country, and then someone else just kind of swooped in and was like, oh, I guess I'll take over now, and then the U.S. bombed the crap out of you. Yeah, well, and it's, it's not It's one great. of those
1: things, too, where, like, a distinct political entity of Laos is not, an old idea
0: no it's a very recent one yeah it's a very recent one um okay yes yeah. so what did you say for that 7.5 i
1: said 7.5
0: okay i'm gonna go ahead and give it a seven all right x factor this does not have a lot of x not factor a ton me. of
1: x factor there's not a lot of swagger in this anthem there's not a
0: lot of swagger that's true that's really what it comes down to doesn't it it,
1: it is It. its <sighs> I'm pretty sure what was it? Sao Tome and Principe had the, the rap break in the one version yeah. that gave them a ton of X Factor points.
0: It that one was cool and for like such a small country too that I'd certainly never thought of before we did this. Um, yeah, okay. X Factor, I think I'm gonna go like maybe four.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go three and a half.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Let's uh take a moment and total up those
0: scores. All right. So that gives us an overall score of 51.
1: 51 is going to put it in 14th place in front of only Uganda and Brunei.
0: Both pretty bad anthems.
1: Yeah, that's a rough spot to end up. (laughs) Sorry,
0: Laos. Your food is delicious.
1: The food was excellent.
0: Your anthem less so. (laughs) I feel like... I needed a long nap or something before we recorded this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, now we will roll for my next country.
1: All right. And the magic 206 sided die says number 80.
0: Number 80. Okay. Oh.
1: What you got here? Iceland. Iceland nice that'll be a good one
0: cool I'm excited I I know nothing about Iceland kind of
1: yeah really about their history I don't either I think we're maybe gonna get some like minor Viking activity which will be fun
0: Vikings are cool
1: yeah but uh tune in next week we're gonna have my good buddy Dan on for an episode on Guatemala
0: I'm excited for the food for that too
1: yeah that's gonna be good food
0: Did we get something very wrong? Did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning? That's very likely, and we'd love to hear the correct version. Please tweet us at podcast or send us an email at inallofuscommandpodcast at gmail.com. We record these episodes a bit in advance, so you may not hear a correction right away, but we're not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected.